Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Continuing on our series this morning, Lessons from Elijah, this will be part four. Part four. We're using as our golden text the passage from Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, which is the promise of God that really basically boils down to every, every you know, for the, for the first coming of Jesus as well as the second coming. He said, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of Yahweh. Now, we know that John the Baptist was a fulfillment, at least a partial fulfillment of that. But we also know that the great and terrible day of Yahweh, maybe the great day has come, but the terrible day has not. But yet at the same time, I believe we are knocking on the door for that. So guess what? Elijah, that spirit, returns. He will restore, he will return he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land. And that doesn't mean the earth. That means that which is of the people, belongs to the people of God with a curse. God does not want his people to get swept up in the judgment into which we are now well and truly entered. All right. Now. That verse that we just read is indicative of the coming of the spirit and the power of Elijah. It says to restore. You don't restore something that's not messed up. Uh, those of us who love classic cars, which I'm one. And you know, classic depends on which generations. For some people, the Model A or the Model T or, or T bucket, something like that is classic. And I would not argue that point. But for me, classic is a 1969 Boss 302 or a 1969 uh, Camaro Z28 RS or a 69 Dodge Charger RT or a 1970 Plymouth Cuda 340 or six pack, whatever, you know. So, you know, I could just keep rattling these off. And, and, that, and then after we get done with that, we're going to talk about all the music that was good back then. But anyway, <laughs> you don't restore something. I've seen, they, they call it a rotisserie uh, re restoration, where they take a car that's all rusted out or it's, 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 it's seen, it's, the, it, you know, it looks like it's on its last legs, and they put it on a rack where they can actually spin it around and that's what they call a rotisserie and they I have seen those some of those cars that look like they were hopeless that by the time those guys got finished with it it looked like it was brand spanking new and when Jesus says he makes all things new that's what he desires to do all right and so that is the restoration if there if the if God is sending Elijah the spirit of Elijah, through his people, I believe, to restore. It's because things are really messed up. How many of you think they are? And it's not just a person of Elijah. It's the principle. It is a paradigm. It is a model 
for navigating dark and dangerous times. The reason we're going through Elijah right now is because it's a study in faith and because we need to follow what God is showing us through his life. It was written for us. Amen. In Matthew chapter 17 and verses 10 through 13 from the New American Standard and his meaning Jesus disciples ask him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. Did you notice? But then he goes on to say, but I say to you that Elijah already came and they didn't recognize him, but they did to him whatever they wished. So the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. But I want to go back to verse 11. He answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. He is speaking in the future tense, even though he refers to John the Baptist as having come in that spirit. So there is yet another fulfillment of Elijah coming. Jesus' words point that, you know, and you got to remember, this conversation took place just after they had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They had just seen Elijah with their very own eyes. They had undoubtedly heard his voice as he and Moshe, Moses, were talking with Jesus. Luke tells us, I believe it is, about the crucifixion, his decease, as he says, that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And they're coming down, they're going, wait a minute, we saw Elijah up there. Why does it say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming. God is raising up a people this day who will go forth in the spirit and the power of, of Elijah, the body of Christ, to be his turner of hearts. His restorer, he, those who call out, prepare the way. Prepare ye the way. That's what I want to talk about this morning for a few minutes is prepping for signs and wonders. Miracles. Everybody say amen. amen. Now, again, I, I, I quoted this scripture a second ago. And yes, I rested a bit from its context, but I don't violate the spirit of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they've been written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Yes, he was talking about the terrible, stupid things that Israel did. But I believe that all of the Old Testament is written for our instruction. Is Elijah's life is not recorded just as encouragement, which it certainly would be, but also as a model, a paradigm, if you will. Not a template to be followed religiously, but the principles thereof. There is theological messaging in Elijah's life. Now, I'm telling you, we need to think theologically. As we read the scripture, we need to think theologically, not think naturally, not think politically, not think culturally. Dear Lord, don't think culturally. Not anymore. All right. But to think theologically, what is God trying to convey here? Because the writers of the Old Testament were well aware of the fact that God was sending messages. He was and we're going to look at a little bit of that today. And so Elijah stood and prophesied, 1 Kings 17, 1, prophesied, it will not rain these years except by my word. He basically said, I'm shutting it off. 
And I'm the only one who can turn it back on. You know, that's a pretty heavy statement. How many of you are aware of the fact that you draw a target on your back when you say things like that and then they start happening? All right. James 5 and 17a from the, from the King James tells us that Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. What that simply means is he had the same struggles. He had the same failures. He had the same feelings that we do. That's why I love the life of Elijah. Because we don't see any of that weakness in Elisha, his protege. And, but we do see it in Elijah. God can and does use imperfect vessels. Everybody that was relieved about that said amen. And he was in the process of preparing Elijah for what he was going to do. But at the same time, he was preparing Israel for what he was going to do. He was getting his man ready and he was getting the people ready, working both ends, if you will, against the middle. And every bit of it was by faith in Elijah particularly. And so he has been preparing his body these last few years. He has been training us. He has been teaching us. He has been preparing us for this body and others like us to stand and speak his word and see miraculous things happen in the midst of the worst garbage you can possibly imagine and still be standing there calmly with unruffled feathers. And there'll be a lot of Christians who will look at you. I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. There'll be many believers who will look at you and say, don't you, don't you get it? Why aren't you freaking out? Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Here comes Jesus walking on the stormy water. He goes, why'd you, why'd you doubt? Peter, why did you doubt? Well, I saw the wind. What's the wind got to do with you walking on the water? Amen. Now we go back, remember 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, he declares that there will be no rain except these years except by my word. Then in verse 2, it says this, the word of Yahweh came to him, Depart and uh, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Crete, which is east of the Jordan. The word Crete in, in Hebrew actually means to separate. The first order of business after making this declaration is to go and hide. Separate yourself. You know, Crete means separation or a cut or a boundary. And there was more than one reason for this. Because there was, it was going to take time for the people's hearts to be prepared. And it was going to, I said this last week, and, and I stand by the statement. I have heard so many people prophesying over other people and say, the Lord is going to do a quick work in you. I don't think that's true. I think the speed with which the Lord does a work in any of us is based solely on our response. And if we respond quickly, we respond positively, we respond in faith, we move on, we move on to the next stage. But even then, there is more to accomplish. It used to lock my jaws. Does everybody know what that means? just infuriate me. 
Anybody ever been to a track meet or watch one on TV? How many of you have heard of one? <laughs> a track meet. And if they're running long, now if it's a sprint, is it like a 200-yard sprint or something like that? They'll all start on the same, you know, on the, at, the, at the same place in the blocks, right? Just a line. But if it's a distance, if it's, a, if it's you know, more of a, like if they're running, you know, a 10K or something like that, they're you know, probably not that far. But anyway, they'll be staggered, you know. And that's because, the, the, you know, everybody starts in the lane to make it even because, you know, you're, you're allowed to move in as the, the pack reaches the first or the second turn. The day came in my life when I realized that not everybody gets an equal starting place. Some people come out of situations where, you know, they're, they've got more to learn about faith, more to learn about righteousness, more to learn about holiness, more to learn about godliness than other people do. Some people grew up in a godly home, and so they have what I would have thought of as a head start. And there are people who are coming out of horrific situations who do not, they've got more to learn because they didn't grow up around it. It's all new to them. And it used to just really frost me that perhaps I'm starting out behind some of the people who were my contemporaries. Anybody know what I'm saying? But one of the things you and I both need to remember is, as Phil said Wednesday night, we are not running a race against other people. We are running a race against what our highest potential could be. And God takes into account that we started in the hole. And he brought us out. And maybe some people get up here and maybe I only make it here. But if God says, that's exactly where I wanted you to be, that's all that matters. All right. And so... We've got to get that settled right up, right up front. And so the reason that God had to prepare his man was because he was going to do something that had never been done before. And he had to prepare the people because if their hearts are not tenderized. How many of you have ever tenderized meat? I tenderize steaks before I put them on even good meat. We have a mallet that has spikes on it. It's not a mallet, it's a, it's a cut, well, it's a, yeah, I guess it's a mallet. It's more like a, um, what do they call it, the ancient warriors used to fight with, it was a, a mace, yeah. And bam, 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 hitting like it and poking holes in it and everything, getting it ready for the marinade. And um, tenderizing it. Now you might say, that's kind of a brutal thing for uh, tenderizing the heart. Not as much as you might think. Amen. Because now, how many of you believe that God looks at all of humanity as his offspring? Yes, we are his children, but he cares even for the people who are not saved. All right. And in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Think theologically here. Now, here's an interesting thing that you don't see by just reading the English version. The word that's translated child there is actually reference to an adolescent boy. A teenage boy. It's in the masculine. 
The rod of discipline, and the word discipline is a, is a translation of the word that means chastisement. The, so foolishness is bound up in the heart of the teenager. And the rod of chastisement will remove it far from him. I just said a little while ago, if you were listening, we live in an adolescent culture. So we know exactly how God says he will deal with it. Let's keep reading. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him, obviously God would be illegal in many states. With the rod, it doesn't mean that you abuse them. But though you strike, although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod. And look at this. Rescue his soul from Sheol. We would say hell. Rescue his soul from hell. Now, I know that's not a popular idea in North American culture. I've been told by psychologists it's senseless to spank a child after they're about two years old. That's not what the scripture says. We are watching the absolute truth of this manifest around us. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of people. And it's going to take a thrashing for them to wake up and smell the coffee. And in fact, in Proverbs 19 and 18. Everybody still loves me. Say amen. amen. Chasten your son while there is still hope. And do not set your heart on his destruction. Now it's interesting because you might say, well, that's not what the King James says. <clears throat> You're right. The King James on the back half of that proverb incorporates rabbinic tradition. What the rabbis said that meant. Let me read it to you from the King James. Chasten your son while there is hope and not let not thy soul spare for his crying. Stop, stop, oh, stop, you're abusing, ah, stop, you're killing me, stop. Amen. Why would God remove Elijah from that situation, because he was the one who said, it will not rain again until I say so. And God says, there is going to be a lapse of a considerable period of time before these people are ready for what I'm going to do next. And it is going to grind and grind and grind and grind. Why? Because they're hard Hearted. They're hard headed. I want you to think about this. Remember when we get to Carmel, he says, If Baal is God, serve him. If Yahweh is God, serve him. And they answered him not a word. So we live in a time when, you know, uh, when. We've got a lot on our plate. There's a lot yet to do. And, what is, and so he sends him. He says, go hide yourself. 
Well, that sounds familiar because in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says uh, that, you know, when you get ready to pray, enter into your closet and pray to your father who is in secret. It's not supposed to be a spectator sport. And ultimately, we all have to separate ourselves from the noise, from the violence, and from the lies. But, uh, how many of you know there's nothing new under the sun? Listen to Hosea 11, 12 through 12, 1. 11, 12 is the first sentence in the paragraph. And 12, why the guy that did the verses separated this way, I have no idea. But this is what it says. Ephraim surrounds me with lies. And the house of Israel with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. Ephraim, or Ephraim, feeds on wind and pursues the east wind. Empty stuff, continually. He multiplies lies and violence. Does anybody think that that even remotely describes the day in which we live? Absolutely. Moreover, he makes a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. In other words, he's aligning himself with things, with, with things that are not God. How many people, how many jurists have said, we need, to we need to consider international law when we look at our own, you know, ruling uh, judicial things and not just our constitution. No, we do not move the ancient boundary which the fathers have set. We don't look to Assyria. I mean, we have been, but we don't. We shouldn't. All right. And oil. All of our wealth is being sucked off. So, he goes. Let's go back to 17, 1 Kings 17, 2 and 4. And the word of Yahweh came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Chit, which is east of Jordan. Look at this, verse 4. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Again, think theologically. Think biblically. Think spiritually. He said, I have commanded the ravens. Not, I will command. It was already done. He, no, let's read that again very, very carefully. Because words mean something. Verse 4. You shall drink from the brook which I have commanded the ravens to bring you food there. Doesn't say that, does it? It says to feed you. The raven, now that doesn't mean that they're going to jump up on his lap and he's going to open his mouth like a little raven and they're going to stick the food in. The choice of words here is very, very important because the Holy Spirit is sending us a message right here. Now, let me ask you this. God has control, has, has commanded the ravens to feed the prophet, to feed the believer. Do you think he leaves it to the ravens to determine the menu? No. They bring Elijah the food that he selects, he instructs, and he tells them to send or to bring. All right? God is in complete control. He didn't just say to the ravens, okay, boys, we've got to feed that prophet over there. You know, fan out and see what's available. No! 
He was in total control of Elijah's food. What he had to eat, how much and when. And then naturally, he produced, you know, he, he drank from the book. So part of it was supernatural and part of it wasn't. He's going to graduate from there at some point to the next place where it's all supernatural. He's training Elijah to believe him. Just the way he trains us. Why is it significant that they brought him food? Because the food that came from them was from the hand of God himself. In John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he, will, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. What is the scribe under the influence of the Holy Spirit telling us? That we have to get aside. We have to draw away from the lies. Away from the noise. Away from the cacophony that is the world around us. And feed on his word. Feed on. Let him feed us. Because if we don't, we won't be able to identify the voice of the Lord. We won't know. How many of you with me? Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. Elijah was to get away, to separate himself to God, to shut out the world. Because much was about to be required of him. And the enemy would attack and try to outflank him. And he would have absolutely no one to stand with him politically or culturally or socially. Remember what he said when he was discouraged? I alone am left. And he really believed that. And in a very sense, in a very real sense, there was truth to it. I want you to think about this. John the Baptist had, you know, we know that God, the angel Gabriel, appeared to Zacharias and told him that he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. Now, if you know Luke chapter 1, you know it says that Elizabeth was barren. That was a disgrace. But it was, she was barren because God was planning on doing something through her that no one would be able to say was just a natural occurrence and it was happenstance, it was luck. She was going to get pregnant and, and you know, and her own husband's like, what? And the, now, I understand Mary said the same thing to the angel. How is that possible? But she was saying it with 
it curiously saying, okay, how, how do you plan on this? Whereas Zacharias was saying, that is impossible. And the angel said, I stand in the very, I stand in the very presence of God. And you will be mute. And I believe he was deaf as well for a time. Why? So that you don't go around torpedoing the will of God with your unbelieving words. You and I may feel, okay, maybe you don't, but I do, feel like Elizabeth. I'm out here barren while people I know have done so much more in ministry. They seem to have gone so much farther. There seems to be so many people out there that have done so much more. And here I am barren. No, not completely. I understand that. But it, it, and, and I don't mean that. I'm talking about how that the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And you know, there's some things I used to want in ministry that I don't want anymore. Because I outgrew them. I'm not an adolescent anymore. How many of you know when you're a teenager, there are things you want that when you get older, you find out, you know, I really don't think I want that. And Elizabeth conceived and brought forth John. Now we have the Magnificat, you know, for, you know, that Mary speaks later. We have the, you know, we have all of the, the, the prophecies over John that there would be, he would be a rising light. And so in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, it says, And the child, referring to John, continued to grow and become what? Strong in spirit. Not in the spirit, but in spirit. And he lived in the deserts, the wilderness, until the day of his public appearance to Israel. He didn't live away from God. He was separated to God and away from the culture and away from the people. Because when he came on, he was going to be, as we used to say from where I hail, his preaching would be as strong as three acres of garlic. And he would be loved by many, but he would be detested by others. And he, his, you know, he was executed, just to be completely candid. All right? Now, is that a paradigm that we would expect? You know, Elijah was a man of the wilderness. John the Baptist, sent into the wilderness. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove, didn't say he is a dove, descending upon him and a voice out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. I am in you. I am well pleased. That is not a declaration of his sonhood. It is a declaration of his status. The beloved son, this is why God uh, named uh, uh, through the prophet named Solomon, Yedidiah, Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. He's my choice to move forward with the, with the, with the kingdom. He's going to sit on the throne. So when he says, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased, he is announcing his divinity, his sonship, and the line of David, and the one who is going to rule and sit on the throne of David forever. And immediately... The Spirit impelled him. And in fact, that is such a strong word. The Spirit pushed him. Literally, the word means the Spirit threw him out 
into the wilderness. No, it does. It literally means the Spirit threw him out into the wilderness. And you'll notice that Mark is so adamant on that under the Spirit. You see that little asterisk there by the word impelled? That means it's the historical present. It says, and immediately the Spirit threw him, threw him out into the wilderness. Not past tense. It says, throws him out into the wilderness. Wow. Call, anointing, desert. Call, anointing, desert. Call, anointing, desert. How many of you say, been there, done that? Or, am there, doing that? Did you ever ask yourself, how in the world did I get thrown into this? Well, it's completely scriptural. God just picked you up and tossed you right in there. And he was led, let's keep reading here. And immediately, verse 12, the Spirit threw him out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he was in the wilderness 40 days being pressured by Satan. For so the word tempted is more literally translated. Being pressured. Have you ever felt any pressure? Any push? Any mm, tempted? And he was with the wild beasts. That is not talking about your co-workers. <laughs> and the angels were ministering to him. Amen. I think we can all identify with that. We come to that place where, you know, Jesus asked that question. He says, you know, people get tired. We talked about being weary and well-doing. And in Luke 18, 8, Jesus says, I tell you that he will bring about, he meaning the Father, will speedily bring about justice or quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The answer to that is yes, but it will be his remnant who is believing. In the days of Elijah and John, both things were very dark spiritually. Jesus and Paul tell us of the lying wonders and signs that will proliferate in the last days. And they tell us, Jesus tells us, and Paul tells us of the general, and Peter too to some extent, of the general breakdown of society, which is in full manifestation. I mean, terrible things are happening. Uh, I read the other day about a guy that has an Aston Martin, which is a pretty expensive sports car. He was driving around. It was out on the coast, out in L.A., and he, he went home and put up his, his garage door, pulled in there, and people who had been following him came in, pulled him out by gunpoint, stole his car, stole some of the other stuff right out of his own house, you know, and things like that. There are parts of the country where, particularly out west, where people don't even lock their cars and never leave anything in. They don't even lock their cars, hoping that thieves will not break the windows. We might see terrible uh, just incredible miracles that are lying wonders. We've seen some of those in the past. Some people say, we're going to have an alien 
landing that is going to, you know, is, is going to fool everybody. Well, we're all primed for that. I don't know if it'll happen, but, you know, we're primed for that if it does. And if we see aliens, we know what we're seeing. We are not, yes, we're seeing aliens, but they're not interstellar. They're interdimensional and they're not holy and they didn't just arrive. But God will not be outdone because he is already beginning to ramp up in some places and we're going to see it as the darkness intensifies signs and wonders of biblical proportions. He has promised judgment on sin and a vindication of righteousness. And he is going to do this very publicly going forth, but it takes a person who will believe him and not flinch when threatened by the enemy. Our world has changed since we were children. Dramatically. Our world has changed in the last two decades. Dramatically. Darkness has, just as predicted by Isaiah in chapter 60, has covered the earth and dense or gross darkness the people. And while we shall see harvest, and we shall, there will also be continued bitter opposition because the gates of hell will push back with considerable force. And because of that, God needs Elijah, the Elijah spirit, a spirit that will not back down. Woo! Are you, are you half as excited about this as I am? If our musicians would come. God needs that spirit in people. He needs a people who, like John the Baptist, have grown strong in spirit. Who do not flinch. Who do not shrink back. A people who will not melt in the fiery trials that we as a nation are entering. I don't know when things are really going to take the next turn. Remember it was 2019 that the Lord spoke to me and said that, that you know, I, and, and I saw the acceleration. And he said, the world around you is about to change so rapidly, it'll seem like it happened overnight. Well, that happened. It's interesting, I was discussing with a couple of guys that, here, a couple of the men this morning, how Kevin Webster had made in his uh, message last week. And man, he said something that was so funny, I had to laugh. And I sent him a text saying, that's a classic line. He says, the church has got to quit hearing the trumpet blasts of God and then reaching over and hit the snooze button. <laughs> that is classic. Well done, Kev. <laughs> I love it. But we were talking about the vision that God had given Kenneth Hagin back in 1950. And the Lord told him America was receiving her last call. And he said there's the seven day period like with Noah and the ark. It's commensurate. In our day and age, a generation is 70 years. What is 70 years from 1950? 2020. So the day, the year of the pandemic, the year that our government became communist, locking people down, forcing them to, uh, into behaviors that they may or may not have agreed with and apparently have created a problem. The, you know, that, that you know, we can, I think we can just put bookends on that. And from here on in, 
I think it's just going to get crazier, weirder, stranger, but for the people of God, more glorious. I said the Lord spoke to him in, in, in a dream. It's been a while since I've had one. And the upshot of it is that if we'll follow him, it will not be rough sailing for those who walk with him. Is that good news? Yes. Yeah. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean we won't have wind. Doesn't mean we won't have thunder. Wind doesn't mean we won't have all that kind of stuff. But it does mean that it will not take us out and we will not go under. Because he has promised judgment on sin and the vindication of the righteous. And to do that very publicly. A people grown strong in the spirit who will not, flin uh, not flinch or shrink back. A people who will not melt in this fiery trial. A people who will not be afraid to speak truth to power. A people who will trust God implicitly and obey immediately. Even the craziest of orders in the craziest of circumstances. The day of small things is coming to an end. And I used to say, oh God, bring on the day of the big stuff. Bring on the day of the big stuff. Because he told me about the day of the small thing. Who's despised the day of the small thing? It was over 40 years ago. But be careful for what you wish. Because the day of the small thing coming to an end means the battle is getting louder and crazier. Many will stagger and be stunned. And disoriented by events happening that they absolutely cannot believe. Believe it or not, how many of you can say that the events of the last two or three years have almost been surreal to you? Well, believe it or not, the world is actually going to get there. They're going to get to where they suddenly realize this is not right. This is not normal. This is not good. And they're going to, you know, and I don't know how much longer we have to go with this. Because just like that drought, it drug on for 42 months. Three and a half years. Grinding, 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 grinding. And no relief. How many of you with me? Elijah ate well. If you like tortillas. We'll get into that with the widow at Zarephat uh, soon. But I'm not convinced that one day the tortillas tasted like steak. The next day they tasted like blueberry pancakes. The next day they tasted like uh, fried chicken. You know, God can do stuff like that. You might say, Bible doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say he didn't. I mean, you know, if you're going to eat the same menu every day for, you know, three years... Uh, I'm, you know, yeah, if it's just a corn or a, a flour tortilla, you're glad to get it and everything. But I think God is well aware of our infirmities. Man, today, I don't know what the widow's name was. We'll just say it was Agnes. Because there's nobody here by that name. And Agnes, they taste like chicken today. I was thinking they tasted like turkey. Somebody, one of her other family. Bacon, 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 bacon! God can do whatever he wants to do. Everybody say amen. In their distress, and we've seen this times without number, the many in the multitude will begin to cry out to God. 
And it may be a while before he answers. Do you understand? I mean, Elijah had to wait for exactly the right time. When was the right time? When God said, now. That's the way it works, because he's in control. Yes, Elijah did get up and say, it'll only rain when I say it will. Well, he's only going to say it will when God tells him it's going to. Are you with me? He is the one who's in control. Those of you watching by web, thank you for joining us. I hope you got something out of this. The number one we can, the two things I want to leave with which I wish to leave you today is that number one, God is going to continue to work over, to chastise, to smite this world. I know there are people out there that do not believe that God would do that, but I promise you the scripture says he does, but he does it in love. In fact, even over in Hebrews, it says that God loves us so much that he will chastise us. That's in the New Testament. That's in the book of Hebrews. And, if, and he loves sinners. He loves his own children. And whatever it takes to try to tenderize our hearts, he'll do. Because he's looking with an eye to eternity, not our today's comfort. If you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and your Savior, do not wait another picosecond to give your heart to him. Because there is only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. And the way you embrace him is to confess his lordship. Believe with your heart, confess with your mouth. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That Jesus is the son of the living God. And that God has raised him from the dead. But it is not just a formula. It is not just a recitation. It is a repentance. It is a turn. It is an embracing of Jesus where you are giving yourself up and you are stepping down off of the throne of your life and allowing the son of the living God to sit there and to be in charge. Christian, that's a good thing for all of us that we allow Jesus to be in charge. I can tell you without fear of successful contradiction that every one of us has gotten off, has, has, has at least tacitly kicked Jesus off the throne of our lives and sat down to make some of our own decisions only to regret it. We must hear his voice clearly. We must follow after him. We must be obedient. And part of that is getting involved with his kingdom. Get in the local church if you're able. I realize there are some people that you cannot. And I don't want to put anybody under condemnation. But if there's any way you need to be hooked up, you need to be engaged because we will go through this together and we will be victorious together. Amen and amen. Let's we hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body.
Until next time, may God's very best be yours.